Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits Radio Program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over everything racing. <laughs> with with me in the studio is Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, the CEO of El Rouge Engineering, Richard Uden, and IndyCar.com writer, um, and the CEO at Motorsports Tribune, Joey Barnes, also in the house with us. How is everybody tonight? Terrific. All right, great. Yep, good, thank you. Great to talk to you guys again. So, uh, you know, uh, IndyCar's wrapped up. Formula One had the week off, but uh, NASCAR had the uh, Saturday night race uh, down in Richmond under the lights. Uh, weather cooperated, which was nice. Um, still uh, still struggling for attendance at Richmond there. It was a little up from the uh, the earlier week, but uh, 40,000 was was the number I heard. So, uh, And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but uh, the big news coming out of there, 50 wins. For Kyle Busch. Yeah, Kyle Busch also uh, with the win, guarantee, guaranteeing his spot in the next round of the chase. Uh, also at the end of the day, uh, Martin Truex has clinched um, his pass through to the next round. And, of course, Keselowski's through with the net, with the uh, the win in the earlier race. Um, so, uh, Gray, uh, let's uh, let's break down the Richmond race there. Um, uh, you know, Brad... Brad was looking like he was uh, heading for four in a row in a while, or four in a row for a while, but uh, looked like he didn't have a, a strong car in really long runs. And at the end of the day, it was Kyle. So, what's your what's your assessment of Richmond? Yeah, that's that's what it appeared. I thought I was looking good there with my pick for four in a row, but uh, yeah, he he faded at the end, and Kyle's car came to life. Kyle had started it had started the back of the race uh, at the back of the back of the field. He was one of the quicker cars throughout practice and uh, ended up having to, to go to the rear and, and quickly charge through the field. But it was like uh, after the three-quarter mark that he really came, came, his car really came to life and, he, you know, he's, he emerged as a car to beat. Um, you know, some, some good runs by uh, Truex and, and Harvick along the way. And I guess we talked about the big three and the big three finished one, two, three. Uh, in Saturday night's race, uh, also a good run. 
Dillon for uh, Austin Dillon, probably his best race of the year. Uh, even though he won the Daytona 500, this was probably a, his best complete race of the year as he, as he was able to come home in sixth place and ran in the in the top ten for uh, about the last half of the race and, 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 and maintained his position. So some, some good things and some good things for RCR to be excited about uh, after that race. Um, some some bad runs for some others. Uh, Denny Hamlin, uh, we thought would uh, would run well, and uh, you know usually does at Richmond, but he faded, and uh, he's in uh, he's in danger of being one of the first four out uh, going yeah, yeah. into this this weekend. Denny, Denny, in fact, is the lowest man on the totem pole in 16th spot there, and then he um, yeah. and then he came came out in in the to the media and said uh he, he said he's not, what did he say i'm not even worried about the playoffs i'm just worried about running better it's very difficult when your teammate is winning races and we're running like a bag of shit every week so i, I just want to ask you gray and richard now so uh, uh you know you guys have, have worked within teams and, and worked on cars um you know when your driver gives you you know that vote of confidence saying hey Great job on the bag of shit, guys. Um, what does that do for the team morale? Does that does that that make you want to, you know, just work harder and get it right for that guy, or does it does it kind of turn you off a little bit? Well, it, it can work. It can work both ways. And sometimes, <coughs> if you know if you know your driver is capable of taking a good car and running up front and winning races, and for whatever reason he's complaining that the car is not right, then you, you then then you have to. You have to look at uh, look within yourself when you know your teammates' cars are running well and things like that. You know it uh, it will it'll it'll be a way to motivate the team. In other instances, when 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 it's the same old story week in and week out, you know, and you're changing and, and think you're giving them a good car and you're just not getting the effort from the driver, it can be both. So uh, it's it's kind of hard to say right now. They they haven't been. Uh, the 11 car, you know, hasn't been up on top of their game all year long. You don't know what it is, whether it's bad communication between the driver and crew chief or, you know, they've got some other issues within that team. It sounds to me like uh, all, all's not not well with the, with the 11 right now. So, uh, you know, that could be uh, something that, you know, maybe Joe Gibbs will intervene and, uh, and, and make some things right. You never, you never know how that goes, but uh, – they're in a position there where they've just about got to win on Sunday to advance. So we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out. That's going to be a that's a difficult thing to go through because that was so many unknowns at the Roval. Um, you know, you just you just don't know. I'd hate to be in that situation to where you know it, have gotten myself into where I had to had to really count on a win at at a at a, at a new racetrack, essentially first time there to try to advance so that's going to put that team behind the eight ball for sure for sure yeah now richard you have thoughts on this as well yeah i mean at the end of the day an organization like joe gibbs racing they're gonna you know they're gonna know the situation the crew chiefs the race engineers the the guys on the shop floor they're gonna know where the where the blame's not the right word but where the issues are you know and a lot of the times i mean hey you know the the guy who parks next to uh, Denny Hamlin in the in the parking lot of Joe Gibbs went and won the race, so it can't all be bad there. Um, yeah, you know, and a lot of the times, especially in, in, in cup racing in the cup series, you're dealing with such such incredibly fine margins that 
you it can just be one simple little thing, you know, a little mistake in the setup. And a lot of the time, you know, you've got to remember the the telemetry system. There's no telemetry in these cars, so the the guys on the on the pit wall or on the pit box, they don't get information like they do in almost every other racing series out there. The data they get back during practice and qualifying is purely engine data and a little bit of steering and handling data. There's no aero data. There's no real. There's very little data they can actually take to really work on the car and develop it. So a lot of the feedback that they're working on is driver feedback. Yeah. So yeah, you know, what's the saying? You know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. You know. He's got to be careful what he says there because he could upset a few people. Um, and if genuinely there was something not right with the car, you know, the guys at Toyota or the guys at the Gibbs who fabricate the car and finish the car and, and do all the fluffing and buffing on it, they're going to know the truth. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so like I said, it, it can go either way. You know, it's just, it just depends. Like, like Richard said, the people on the inside, they, they have an idea what was wrong. So... It, it's kind of hard to say. It looks bad from the it looks bad from the outside, but these things go on internally on race teams on a weekly basis. Absolutely. Oh yeah, so I mean it's, 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 it's crazy. You, you you can some weeks you'll come away from a race and you finished third or whatever, and you know the driver is just you know screaming because there's something wasn't just quite right with his car. Oh, there's another week week he'll come around fifteenth and he's like, yeah, we got the best we could out of that car. So it's, you know, it really is. You know, where you finish a lot of the time is, is actually, especially, say, in, in the Cup Series, because it's so tightly compact and so closely fought, you know, it doesn't necessarily represent the real performance of the car. Right. But now, now on, on the other side of the coin, it just, it just seems to me, as, as a casual observer, uh, that, that Denny Hamlin is just making more and more uh, of comments that are, that are, causing him to be kind of very universally disliked you know it used to be that you know you got drivers that are universally liked and then guys that are universally disliked you know or that you know the the villains of the sports you know brad's got a lot of haters kyle's got a lot of haters denny was just kind of a middle of the road kind of guy you know take take him or leaving you know once a race mm-hmm. but now he's i mean when you when you think about the uh the incident with chase elliott in martinsville last october um some of the comments he's made about uh, driver salaries um, and throwing his team under the bus, and a couple of other just really dumb things he's got out there and said, and and things he's done. Um, I, I mean, I almost feel like he's trying to craft himself a, a villainous personality, or or at the very least, trying to keep his name in the news. No, I think too. By, a lot of it's a byproduct of not running well. You know, yeah. last year, uh, last year Keselowski was was the poster boy for the same thing. He. He, he he said a lot of things because they weren't having a particularly good year, you know, as as it turned out. So yeah, I think I think a lot of this stuff is brought on about is is, is a byproduct of frustration and to some degree. Yep, absolutely. Joey, you want to chime in on Denny Hamlin at all, or shall we move forward? I mean, I I just think that when you look at that situation, I, I think it. You can talk about maybe the stress of the season and the championship because to this point, outside of a Daytona 500, the only thing we've ever known Denny Hamlin for is choking come championship time. And 
in this situation, I, I think that maybe he felt like he was rising to the occasion, but his team let him down. But, you know, I mean, it's a team sport. I thought that for what he was able to do in the tire situation, I thought it was brilliant. You know, you're not going to know, obviously, when cautions are coming out or, you know, and it, regardless of any of that, you don't take your frustrations publicly. You know, whenever we were all growing up playing sports, you know, the biggest thing that we were taught is if you get a problem, you keep you keep it in-house, and that stuff goes all the way to the pros. And and I think in this situation, maybe he's feeling a little bit of that pressure because you're starting to see some of the doors close at Joe Gibbs Racing. I mean, there's talking about Truex going over to Phil Suarez's seat. You look at Christopher Bell, who is red hot in Xfinity right now and is, is an incredible talent. I would rate him higher than Eric Jones when Eric Jones came to Cup. You know, there's not enough seats to go around. I understand FedEx and Toyota might be heavily involved, and they may love Denny Hamlin, but when you got somebody like Christopher Bell who's burning down the door, you're going to have to find a seat for him, and I guarantee you that ain't going to be a Kyle Busch that's moving anytime soon. So I think a lot of that may have been part of this factor. Absolutely. You know, like, you know, it's pressure, no doubt about it, and it's in the, and what we're talking about is high-pressure stuff because you're one of the – you know, one of the top teams in the sport, and you certainly didn't go into that playoff thing thinking you were going to be one of the first four out, you know, in, in the elimination round. So let's, speaking of the elimination round, okay, so we've talked about Denny Hamlin. He's got quite a tall order um, to uh, not um, get eliminated. But the other three guys below the, the cutoff are, are Jimmy Johnson, uh, Clint Boyer, and Eric Jones. So um, uh, your thoughts on uh, any of those guys um, being able to uh, – Jump up a few spots and, um, you know, dodge elimination. Who do you think's got the best chance? Anybody that wants to jump in? Well, I think, you know, Eric Jones is a byproduct of a a very poor finish at, at, at Vegas. He was caught up. He was one of those many chase drivers or, or playoff drivers was caught up with in, in wrecks not of his own doing and it's got him behind the eight ball so yeah I, I, you know just unfortunate you know that's how it's going to be uh in this playoff you have you can have one one really bad race that really it puts you in a position where you know you can you you're in a free fall and that's that's eric jones jimmy johnson has not been has not been good all year really uh he's had some good some some good runs uh, of late, but uh, it may be too little too late in, in his case. I don't know if you know he could uh, he could pull some magic out and get a decent finish and and, and be able to slide in if it's somebody else uh, have some bad luck. I mean he's he's just on the cusp, you know, uh, of of getting in. So a little bit a little bit of luck. I'm sure they're gonna go they're gonna go in trying to get the best finish they can and protect. Uh, their position to a degree because I think they're going to rely on some other guys having some trouble and rely on Jimmy, Jimmy's experience and, and Chad Canales' experience to, to kind of just survive and move on to the second, to the, to the second round. All right. So, and, and let's look at the guys that are right above the cutoff line. We're looking at, uh, Austin Dillon, Alex Bowman and Ryan Blaney. Um, and any of those guys could slip up and, drop below the line if one of these other guys come up there and again a lot of unknowns with the uh with the uh track that we're going to this week so uh uh who, who of those do you, th- you feel like is the strongest to stay to kind of stay put not uh not slip down anyone that wants to answer yeah. and that's that's hard because tell you what 
we, we always talk about Talladega and Martins will be impossible wild cards. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. In this playoff. But I tell you what, this this race this weekend may be the wildest of all wild cards because of yeah. so many so many unknowns. I mean, we could have probably a dozen or more drivers just crash on their own, not to mention taking someone else out, you know, in it. I went down to the racetrack today and uh, was was down uh, down at Richard's condo, and I was looking out over the track, and it's a tight, it's a very tight um, course. I mean, it's it's almost like a go kart track to me. Is what it looks like, and it, it is going to be some close quarter racing uh, when they when on that infield s- section of the of the course. I tell you, it's it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a wild show. It's going to be like a, a, a Martinsville type deal, no doubt about it. I tell you, it's going to be uh, only the strong, the strong are going to survive, and we could actually probably have a surprise winner uh, in this event, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. So now, uh, now just, how do you... just, just to clear this up, for, sorry, Gray wasn't referring to my condo. Um... Oh yeah, I figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because Richard, well, I mean, Richard, we know you don't have a condo with Charlotte. You have a yacht in Monaco. That's the one. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So, but my question to you guys, uh, Richard and Gray, so how do you how do you set your car up for this? You know, obviously you're going to bring your road course car, uh, but but this particular Roval encompasses uh, quite a bit of the of the high banks of the oval. So I, I you know, how do you what kind of hybrid setup? Um, do you bring to a track like that? Well, well, it's going to be a compromise. And I tell you, today's today's NASCAR road race car is unlike what we had several years ago. Several years ago, we built a purpose-built chassis with every with lots of things moved to the right-hand side of the car that we normally have on the left-hand side of the car and things like that. Nowadays, that's gone away. Your basic chassis is the same everywhere you go. Where it gets a little bit different, you've got a, you got you got a different rear end housing that you put under it, and you've got different upper and lower control arms and spindles that you use. But the chassis itself could go, you know, could be a downforce could be a downforce car. There's a few subtle things. I think basically you're gonna bring a, you're just gonna bring a short you're gonna bring a short track car to the to the race a downforce car because basically it's got to work left and right through through the corners and then you're just going to get out on the uh, on the speedway and use what you can in arrow when you get when you get on there but you're going to be on there such short amounts of time you're not going to be really carrying a great deal of speed uh or probably the most that you're going to carry is coming off and getting off turn one and and by the time you come off, you know, going through the middle of one and two and down the back stretch, and then you got a chicane before you enter into, into NASCAR three. So you're gonna you you're never gonna be at full speed like we see at Charlotte when we run the true oval. So I, I'm I'm thinking you, you you know you're gonna have to set up with a little bit of compromise 
through the whole circuit because you're going to be strong in some places and you're going to be weak in others. It's, it's no way that you're going to be uh, be good all the way, good, good in every corner of that racetrack. I think it also goes on, you know, what, and a lot of it will probably go on driver preference. I mean, if you've got somebody who's naturally more at home on a road course, you'll probably set the car up to work a little bit better on the, uh, on the oval section of it. So, you know, make him just, like, hold on a little bit through the road course. And then, you know, somebody who's maybe not quite so confident on the road course, you'd set it up more as a, you know, road course car to help give him that little bit of extra grip and a bit of stability in the areas where he's not, you know, not keen. Yeah, I think basically what you're going to see probably the passing zones are going to be in the corner in the, in the, in the big, you know, through turns one and two and three and four, because obviously that's where you're going to have the most, the most room and you're not going to be running at at the typical speeds like you, like you normally see. So, uh, you, you know, may, you might see people set someone up on the inner part of the racetrack and look to make hay when they get out up on the, on the, on the big oval. But you're not going to see – it's going to be a unique race, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's going to be good. I and mean, I think, you know, looking at the, uh, you know, the guys that could be in trouble, I mean, you know, the, the inexperienced guys, the guys like the Alex Bowman and the Austin Dill- – well, I can't really say Austin's inexperienced these days, but, you know, he's not a natural um, – uh, you know, road course racer. So, uh, you know, I think he could be potentially in a bit of trouble this weekend. And, you know, to the same extent, the, you know, the wise old heads, the Jimmy Johnson's of this world, I think uh, this race could, could play right into his into his hand. And Lord knows he needs it right now, right? So, but... Uh, well... <laughs> for sure. So, the Roval, you know, I, I really... I, I really like the terminology Roval. You know, it's I, 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 I'm really digging the fact that NASCAR has kind of clung on to this and they're using it and they're advertising this as the Charlotte Roval. Uh, now, Roval, for for you that don't play Scrabble, Roval's not a real word. You won't get any points for it in Scrabble. But it's you do it my version of Scrabble. Okay, all right. So, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but going back, I mean, the first time I've ever heard the term Roval. Uh, it, it would refer to a road course or an oval track that that you had to set up sort of like an oval, sort of like a road course. It drove a little bit like a road course, and and the tracks that, that it would refer to the most was Pocono, and and even years before that, Trenton. Um, now, New Hampshire has used the term roval for their infield road courses, but most other tracks they just call it the infield road course. You know, at Daytona, it's the infield road course. At Indianapolis, it's the it's the it's the infield road course, but uh, you know Charlotte has uh, latched onto this this roval word, um, and I love it. I just I just think it sounds great. It sounds nifty. It sounds new. It sounds neat. I'm hoping that they really can draw a good crowd because this October race at Charlotte has struggled um, with attendance um, over the last several years. Uh, you know, despite being part of the chase. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, we've. Um, get a good crowd out there to watch something new and exciting and um I, I i haven't heard anything about advanced ticket sales have you guys heard anything advanced ticket sales are well uh well above what they've been over the last several years they're expecting uh expecting a huge crowd there uh this weekend and you know we've we've talked about some some things that the other sanctioning bodies are trying to do to kind of spice things up because they're all in the same same boat trying to uh trying to get viewers and, and, and get attendance up. I mean, I like some of the things that, that IndyCar's done with having the, the double header weekends 
have been terrific. I think they've been, they've gone over well at, at a lot of the venues that they've run. But just bringing doing something different and bringing bringing something to 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 spice the show up and change it up from from what it normally is, I think is I think is a good idea. And I think you know that's I think that's where we're headed in motorsports. We're going to have to 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 step outside the uh, and start thinking outside the box to uh, do some different things for, for the fans to get to kind of get the interest back. At least at least not not get the interest, but but get the interest, get more fan, more more interested in our sport. Yeah, and and along those lines, um, you know, uh, NASCAR. Uh, they had a press conference earlier today um, where they introduced the uh, Steve Phelps, their new president, who was he was the chief operating officer. He's being elevated to president, um, takes over October 1st. But he uh, he met with the media today in Charlotte, um, held a press conference. And he's, uh, you know, he's really he's cautiously optimistic uh, about the future. Uh, he, he said, you know, pretty much, you know, 2019, uh, the schedule is going to stay static. It'll be the same as this year. But it, but he's really open to. Schedule changes, um, you know, 2020 and beyond, and format changes. And he, he talked a bit about uh, a new sponsorship model, a new entitlement, a new entitlement sponsorship model um, that should, uh, you know, make its way and, and trickle down in, um, you know, 20 and 2021. So uh, uh, he sounds overall bullish on the future, uh, but cautiously. You know, he's he he used the term uh, headwind. He's taking over the job in a headwind, but. Um, you know, some of the reporters were a little brutal to him. You know, the one guy asked him, he says, uh, why do you think taking this uh, position right now is a good job given the decline the NASCAR is in? So um, and then then they threw out the question about, you know, there are only 40,000 people in Richmond. Uh, you know, are you going to continue to allow um, – racetracks that uh that have lost 70 percent of their tennis to continue to have two races so um but uh it's a tough job ahead for steve phelps there but uh you know the guys 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 got a lot of experience um he's worked with the nfl he's worked with uh washerman media he's been with nascar since 05 so uh go right ahead gray it's it's time some one comes in and and tackles some of these issues because brian france wasn't willing to do anything I mean, I mean, from from that standpoint, I mean, the sport had really stagnated under his leadership. He, you know, what's he? The biggest thing he's known for is is doing this playoff thing. That that I mean, uh, that came about during his leadership. But other than that, really, you know, there's there's not a lot come from that. And I mean, he's never he's never really addressed the problems of the sport head on. He's always you know, when we talked about declining TV ratings, he said, well, you know, that's not the whole story because we got viewerships up on all these other platforms we've got, social media and all this. And he, he never would address things head on that that were, were issues that everyone saw. And I think, um, you know, him, him having to step down because of his personal problems um, may have been a, a blessing in disguise. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying because basically we've we've got someone in there now that uh, maybe they'll, uh, you know, Brian's brother will, will will give him the ball and let him run with it. And oh, so yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, Jim France is still 
uh, the CEO, but um, yeah, Phelps is stepping up to president. So I guess it's a matter of how much freedom he's going to get from the France family. But but it, it sounds like this guy's got a, a good head on his shoulders, and he's and he's willing to tackle these things, like you said, Grace. So. And here's one thing, I, here one bit, one piece of advice I would give him. When you sit down and go to work on these things, obviously you got, yeah, obviously everybody's got a place at the table when it comes to, to the future of the NASCAR. But you really need to pay attention to the fans. If you give the fans what they want, the sport will, will thrive. And that's, that's, you know, it sounds like a simple, simple, uh, a solution, and we all know that the, the the problems are much more complex than that. But basically, if if you cater to the fan and give the fans what they want, uh, everybody, it's a win win for everybody. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think also, you know, you do need to look at as well as you say as the sports go forward. It's it's the smaller teams as well. You know, the the big teams and the old guard. You know, they'll survive. You know, mm-hmm. the sport survived. You know. For, for many, many years. But, you know, it's small teams that are propping up the sport and they're, they're the ones that are making up the field. Yeah, so I mean... You, need, you, know, you know, Hendrick and Joe Gibbs and guys like that, they're not going anywhere. Um, yeah. and, and the guys that are successful and guys that are smart and that make good decisions and that are growing the team, they're fine. You know, they're okay. It's the it's the smaller teams and it's, the, you know, it's it's the, the star cons of the world and, the, the you know, the front row and the LFRs and Jermaine's and people like that, they're the ones that make up the, the sort of backbone of NASCAR yeah. in many, many ways. And I'm going to throw this out here too. You know, for, for a long time we've seen the sport grow and grow and grow and, and it's got to the point now where, and I'm going to throw this out to you guys, I think at this point in time there, there needs probably to be a little bit of retraction uh, on the sport. You know, we've got thirty six. We've got thirty six races, and I and I've always been a purist and an old guard kind of guy. And I've always thought you had to have thirty six races. But I'm beginning to think now that we probably need to retract a little bit to make our sport. Uh, we've we've oversaturated it to some degree, and I think to, to a little bit we need to pull back uh, somewhat. And that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough in a lot of areas. Tough on these racetracks and these facilities. Who, who, who need these events to survive, and it's going to be tough on these teams uh, to do it. But but look, it's coming. One it, We're going to retract in one area some way or another. Uh, obviously, when the new TV contracts go uh, go into effect and are ne- negotiated in the next in the coming years, that's going to change the sport. That's going to be a big wake-up call. So I, I, I don't know what, uh, what we need to look at, but uh, – uh, you know, we, we we always talk about IndyCar needing more races, and and, and we then we then we'll turn around on the other thing, telling saying NASCAR maybe has too many. So I don't know. We've got to kind of find a, a a good balance. Both series do that that will help them help them grow in the future. Yep. No, you, you need to make it memorable again. You know, I mean, who won the Dover race this year? Oh yeah, I know, I know. You Seth, know. Seth, Seth would know. I know, but my point is, Seth's a freak of nature, and in the nicest <laughs> possible, in the nicest possible way. Um, but you know, ninety percent of people don't know what they remember is, you know, the, you know, the, we talked about it, the big wrecks or the, you know, the Kyle Busch and Carl Larson getting 
together at Chicago, I think it was, and, you know, stuff like yeah. that. They don't, you know, they don't know who wins what race uh, because there's so many and they, and, tails and they, into insignificance. Right, and the, fish, and, the and, finishes are alike, you know. And Gray, yeah. Gray will tell you the same thing. You know, when you work, even working in the industry, it's just a different airport, a different hotel, the hall is the same, the pit box is the same, you know, maybe a different outlook from the pit box, but pretty much it's very, very, very similar week in, week out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you need something to differentiate it and break it up and, and, and stop the monotony of it. Yeah, and, and, and two, you've got to you, – you, what the fans want. I mean, I'm hearing, and I don't know how uh, how true this is – I'm hearing they're going to implement some of the aero package that they used at the Charlotte All-Star Race for next year. Yeah. Hasn't been a concrete announcement yet, but we're hearing some of that. And I think basically that's that's because they've list, they have li- had to listen to the fans clamor for it ever since that race went down in mm-hmm. uh, in Charlotte in May. They've clamored for it. They've, what, when are you going to do it again? Why Why not do it? This would be a great track to see that because we've seen the same show. And I understand what NASCAR is saying. They, had, they do have a bit of a commitment to the owners and, and when it comes to making these major rule changes. But, you know, the, again, the best time to do that is during the offseason when the team can prepare for it. But um, we'll see what happens. I think, you know, that is going to be a step in the right direction, and we'll see some 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 races. Some, some races. But, but like you said, Richard's talking about a memorable a memorable race and a memorable experience for the fan. Well, that All Star race was essentially that. It was a I was there. It was a yeah. memorable race. So basically, you know, that's Richards hit the nail on the head, and that that's what they want to see, and that's you know they want every week to be uh, to to be a show, and and mm-hmm. that's that's what we need to give them. Yeah, but it needs to be, yeah, because yeah, like you say, yeah. Charlotte was a great show last year. I went to Kentucky, and it was a snooze fest, right? Went, yeah. went, went to Martinsville last October, and it, it was a fantastic show with, with lots of drama. So, But, um, Joey, I, mean, I, want, yeah. I want to bring Joey into the conversation here, because I, I know you've got some thoughts on this, um, changing up the schedule and, and these sort of things that, uh, that uh, Gray and Richard are discussing, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Gray said said a lot of good points there about just the product being oversaturated because it is, and I understand the importance of date equity. Uh, every track promoter, that's one of the first things they say. But what good is date equity if you're going to see the same show every time you get there? I, I think mm-hmm. that you know every mile and a half track, and I don't understand the logic of this. Twenty years ago, where every mile and a half track had to look the same, like. If Martin Truex Jr. is dominating in Vegas, he's going to do the same damn thing in Texas and Charlotte and Atlanta and Kansas, and it just it becomes way too much. And, you know, I liked it when Vegas was flat and unique, and Kansas had its own, own design, and Chicagoland, and every mile and a half had their subtle differences. And, you know, Texas doing the repaving and reconfiguration last year, I'm really in support of that because it gives something different. But I think that... The other end of this, you know, ticket sales in Charlotte, I, I really hope that this Roval thing turns out good for them. I mean, most people are probably getting tickets to see if this just becomes a crap show or not. And, <laughs> I mean, a rec fest, let's be honest here. Uh, but at the end of the day, three dates for one track is too much. And I think, personally, 
we've reached the point that where the all-star race, if nothing else, the all-star race should be revolved towards independent tracks, smaller tracks to take care of the grassroots part of this sport. And I think, you know, in some cases those are going to be more short tracks, but those are going to be where you get the, the really, the, the hometown homegrown fans that are really invested in the sport from the get go that go to NASCAR.com and, and order a ton of merchandise. You know, I think that, by doing that, it shows a commitment to the fan base, but it also shows a commitment to kind of venture out because at the end of the day, NASCAR is still, even if their numbers are down, they're still the biggest entity uh, racing-wise in North America. And so I feel like all racing series, let alone NASCAR, have a responsibility to make sure that we take care of the independent side. It's great. They have ties to ISC and Darlington and, and Daytona, and those are great tracks in their own right. But... Just as soon as we take care of those, if we don't do our justice on the independent circuit, uh, we're going to see everything fall through the cracks a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I think that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think in yeah. this case, you know, you see you see IndyCar going to Gateway, uh, and that's an independent track. You, you go to a lot of other venues, and I think, and obviously street races are, are city-ran. But um, I, I think in this situation, it would benefit – NASCAR to go towards the independent side just to show their support for that, if nothing else, for the All-Star Race. So I could go on a longer tangent about a bunch of other schedule things that I don't like, but to keep this short, that's, <laughs> that's my thoughts. All right. Thank you, Joey. So, guys, we should make some picks for this Roval thing, even though as difficult as it is, uh, because I want to save some time and talk about uh, Formula One and preview Sochi um, with Richard. So, um, so uh, Joey, who do you like for for this Charlotte Roval, I mean, it's it's probably as easy making a pick as just throwing a, you know, throwing a dart at a dartboard and picking the number it lands on. AJ Allmendinger. Speaking no. of speaking he's, of which, he's in the replacement will be announced on Friday. Right, right. AJ is yeah, yeah he's uh, in, know, in the news yeah, this his, week. So his ability to adapt to a, his ability to adapt to a track is is pretty good. Whenever you look at the fact that it's a level playing field i think that benefits a team like that and, and I, you know turn one's going to be crazy and i think that with so much unpredictability uh, some people are going to really land themselves in trouble and somebody that's pretty heady on road courses like almondinger is for my money is a bet yeah yeah uh, where, where do so we, apparently where, his uh, is, is anything anything on the horizon for him next year is he just kind of out the door well, we've been hearing for a while that he was probably going to be out. Right. I, I've, been hearing, yeah. I've been hearing those rumors since Watkins Glen that he was probably going to be out of the 47, and they and they just made it official this week. Hard to say. Uh, it, you, you don't know where he's going to go. It's not, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people, a lot of stuff in flux. Like I said, with, this has been a, bit, one of, a crazy, uh, silly season, and, and he's another domino to fall. I mean, we, we found out this week that it was – that it was confirmed that Newman's going to the six. We still don't know who's going to go. And we know that we obviously nothing confirmed. There'll be a lot of announcements in the coming days uh, at Charlotte. Uh, all the teams will probably have. So we'll probably find out who's going to go in the 19 for sure. Uh, I don't know that we'll find out who's going in the 95 or the 31 or the 41 as yet, but uh, and the 47. There's still a lot of cars um, out there without without uh, drivers. So apparently, I was talking to somebody at um, 
JTG, and Friday they will be announcing who's driving the 47 next year. Okay, so... I don't know who lot... it is, yep. but I've been told that Friday they will make that announcement. So, right. And I think I think RCR has uh, has, has uh, some announcements scheduled for later in the week. But, but when you go to this Roval, I tell you, it's going to be... Uh, I think you're going to have to see it, the teams that can qualify up front and keep their car up front throughout the... Uh, throughout this and play the stages correctly. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of strategy come out. You're going to see guys give up stage points to position themselves for the last run to the checker. Um, I, I think somebody like uh, a Kyle Busch or Truex or some some team like that is going to is really going to make a, a concerted effort to stay up or near the front. You know, if they don't get in trouble or wreck one another or get caught up in somebody else's mess, uh, that's that's what you're going to see. But there again, like I said, you could see a surprise winner if this thing gets really crazy. All right, Gray. So pick one. I'm going to say um, I'm going to say Kyle Busch. I think you know uh, he's going to try to keep his his stuff up near the front, and uh, he's a proven uh, he's a proven uh, winner and can get it done in in the clutch. All right, and uh, Richard, for you. I'm going to go, we talked about it a little earlier about needing a good weekend. Let's go with Jimmy Johnson. All right. And I'm going to go with a guy who's down there at the bottom of the chase order who really needs a, needs some good mojo to, to, to move on. And a guy who's a pretty darn good road racer. And that's Clint Boyer. I'll, I'll go with Clint. So, uh, <clears throat> with that being said, let's, um, let's move on to some, uh, open wheel racing news. So, um, Richard, uh, <coughs> announcement coming out of Sauber. I'm solidifying the yeah. uh, the driver lineup for uh, for 2019. So I'll let you uh, break that story. Yeah, not a not a huge surprise. Um, Ferrari are uh, sort of flexing their muscles within their uh, their link to, to Sauber, and uh, after running uh, Charles Leclerc, uh, you know, pretty successfully for the uh, for the last season, they're going to run. Um, I can't pronounce his name now. Somebody help me on his name. How do you pronounce it? Giovinazzi. Is that what we're going with? That sounds good to me. Yep, I'll Giovinazzi, take it. yeah. We'll go with Giovinazzi, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm sorry if it's not, but hey, that's what we're going with. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, it, I'm it, sure it, he's not nat- listening. It's the natural. If, well, you never know. You never know. Yeah, you never know, we, yeah. We, we reach far and wide. Yes, far yeah, and, and we translate um, to Italian, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's the natural progression. And, you know, uh, one day we're going to do a show that's just dedicated to me bitching about junior teams in Formula One. Uh, but, you know, it, that's why Ferrari invest in Sauber and give them a good deal on their engine. And, uh, you know, it's so they can place their young, uh, young drivers uh, in the car. And, uh, you know, the, the kid's competent. You know, he did a couple of races last year for... Uh, Sauber when uh, Pascal Verlein was uh, was injured, so uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, to see where he goes. Really, um, I don't think there's any other big news come out of Formula One. Still, still has Toro Rosso and Williams to confirm their lineup, but uh, it's pretty certain that uh, one of the um, uh, Force Indias or whatever they're going to be called for next year, Racing Point, uh, you know, that, that's going to be. St- um, Lance Stroll, um, so it'd be interesting to see who Williams picked. That hasn't been announced yet, so we'll go from there. Yeah, so but you got we got a couple guys that are that we pretty much know to be out, you know. Uh, and who's yeah. the um, 
Okay, wasn't somebody announced as a they demoted from the driver to third driver, test driver? Was that at Sauber? Uh, it could be that that they were. It was um, Erickson. Erickson, yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna yeah. stay on with the team as in as a test driver. Um, yeah. Which I you know that, I guess uh, in in hopes that um, that you well, know that'll, a seat uh, opens up somewhere. So appeasing some of his personal. Um, personal sponsors more than anything else. Right. Yeah, I mean, here's one thing I'll say, though, is that Marcus Erickson didn't do anything necessarily lose his job this year. I mean, he put in a pretty decent drive so far, considering what we've known that equipment to be for so long. And I'll be the first to admit that when Erickson first came into F1, I was like, get this guy out of here. You know, he's back, Mark. He doesn't, he's not doing the right thing. You know, you see how he's methodical methodically grown into this role and grown into formula yeah. one and he's he's a decent shoe to to get you yeah. some points every now and again i mean he's not he's not terrible he's not overly great he's replaceable obviously and i think that you know i think the interesting thing here is you know does this i don't i don't necessarily see erickson as a guy now that he's a test driver I don't know if he comes back because if Raikkonen's no. there for two years, Giovinazzi's probably there for a minimum of two years because of Vettel's deal with Ferrari, uh, and that's even barring and if they don't look at bringing somebody in from an outside team to replace Vettel. So Giovinazzi, in some ways, may be racing for more than a future Ferrari opportunity at this point when you look at the fact that that team yeah. is now starting to build itself around Charles <clears throat> Leclerc. And, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Ericsson there. I mean, in all fairness, it's it's no disrespect to him. There's far better drivers out there, far shorter careers in Formula One than he has. You know, he's he's done well out of his talent. I mean, he's um, he's been in there for a good what, three, four years now. No, five. This is yeah. the middle of his fifth season. So, I mean, you, you look know, at he's, the ta- you look at the talent that hasn't even had a shot. I mean, I look back at uh, exactly. Sam Sam Bird, Jolly uh, Jolly and Palmer got a shot, but I, you know, yeah, specifically yeah. David Volsecki, uh some some decent talent you know, in GP two. Oh yeah, didn't really I mean guys, get, like Anthony, you know, I I used to work with Anthony Davidson when he was the test driver at Honda, and that guy he was seriously good, but just face didn't fit at any you know, at the right time. So it's yeah, uh, yeah think, he's he's done very very well for himself. You know, I think I think part of the problem is you know the twenty cars on the grid. You know, we got, we got okay, ten, exactly. You've got to ten, pick twenty ten of the teams, best ten teams, drivers. Yeah, twenty cars. Um, you know, and and to yeah, the point. There have been stories circulating, and we talked about it last week a little bit about should they add third car? You know, what I mean, should we run three yeah. car teams? These, you know, these teams that are just seeped in money, uh, you know, run a third yep. car for a junior driver. I mean, ultimately, I, I mean, I'd like to see more teams on the grid, but you know, who wants to who wants to jump into that? Um, you know, because when you when you look at like a, a, a Harding Steinbrenner who jumps in IndyCar, you know they've got a shot at being competitive right away. Yeah, you know you you jump it into Formula One, you're okay. Well, we'll be prepared to run at the back of the grid for uh, you know maybe yeah. the entire duration that our team is around. You know, um, and the only so, way I think you could, I think, well, I think one thing they could look at is not serving third cars, but running. Or making it easier for for teams to buy older cars. You know, if you could go out and run a year old car in Formula One at the moment, a year old Mercedes would be still pretty competitive. But then I guess it it does beg the question of well, then why do people like Sauber and Williams and 
Toro Rosso and Haas developed their own car, if you could just go out and buy another car, it would be as competitive. You've got to... It's uh, it's such a difficult question because as soon as you start looking at things that would increase the field count, you then start to take away the essence and the core aspect of the sport. So it's, it's I, difficult. I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna act. I'm gonna disagree with you that that's taking away the core and essence of the sports because Formula One experienced its greatest growth. You know, in the in the '60s and, and '70s and '80s when customer cars were the way to go. I mean, Colin Chapman will put yeah, out but, a new car. But you're looking, uh, the money, was, you're Jack money wasn't what it is now. No, the money I mean, wasn't wasn't what it is then. But but at the same time, uh, you know that that really grew the sport uh, during those times. And you know, because you, you had the, the the manufacturers and the constructors. You know what I mean? And and there was a bit of a war between the manufacturers and and the constructors. And the constructors used customer engines, and then you had all the smaller teams use customer cars and customer engines, and, and you had a full grid every weekend. You had guys that, that didn't qualify, uh, you know, and, and yeah, of course, you you know, there's a lot of a downside to that era of the sport, too, but, but I... The way it is right now, it's just too lopsided towards, you know, the big, the big two or three teams. Yeah, but in all fairness, a child grows the most when you're giving it breast milk. You don't feed it breast milk all of its life, do you? I mean, look, at the end of the day... <laughs> uh, I don't even know how to answer that, Richard. <laughs> look, at the end of the day, though, Frank, at the end of the day, you're talking about a time where there was, you know, lower regulations, it was more wide open, and you had... A lot of manufacturers that weren't just committed, they were kind of just, it was a feeling out process. And now, with the way that the FIA operates things, the regulations are super tight, you have to have a commitment to Formula One. I mean, Hankook Tire just did a bid for to be a tire supply for F1 for 2020, 2021. We're not even close to being at that, that point yet. I mean, it'll be here before we all know it. Like, we all know growing up uh, through the years, I mean, time flies, right? But you're looking at a different time. Uh, referring to all those things. And I think now the amount of money that is needed for a manufacturer to get involved in a sport, let alone an individual owner like Gene Haas, Gene Haas couldn't do what he did without some sort of partnership with Ferrari. Otherwise, they would be running exactly where Manor and Marussia were all those years. At the end of the day, uh, they might have a different way of thinking, and they might Mm -hmm. have some commitment, but moving a shop to England, Having it based in two different locations, having having that partnership and alliance, if you will, with Ferrari, yeah, essentially being, really. yeah, I, you're looking at a situation where that wouldn't have existed back then, and so the kind of money revenue that's committed to these teams is just astronomical, and so I, especially when you look at the fact that it was the teams like Audi that ended up out of whack, um, which would have been exciting to see a team like them to come to F1. Um, look at the teams that have flamed out over the years. Jaguar comes to mind. BMW was involved for a bit, and that was a fun team to watch back in the day. Uh, just ten years ago, BMW Sauber, but yeah. the the money is just way too great to run motorsports. I mean, it's just that's the end game. Yeah. Yep. So so we if we put a cap on that, you know, or or you know, it never works. Or, I know it never works, but I'm just saying it. Just 
it, it seemed to <laughs> the, the more the merrier. I'm just saying it was a very it's a very light field in Formula One, and it's it's not oh, a, it's sure. not a very deep field either. So um, so anyway, you and I you and I can we can all agree to disagree and move on because we've got about ten minutes left. Um, so uh, we're at Sochi this weekend, or we have another week off? No, uh, it's this weekend. Yep. Yeah, Sochi, yep. All right, so uh, let's uh, preview the Sochi circuit for us, Richard. Uh, a new, one of the, the typical sort of Tilka tracks, really, um, based around the old uh, Winter Olympic Park from whenever it was, 2014, was it? The Winter Olympics were there. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's not a bad little circuit, you know. Again, a lot of concrete barriers, big tarmac runoff areas, um, you know, a couple of interesting corners. But it's a very bland circuit, again, I think. Um, it's like a formerly circuit. Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, you're not far off there. Um, it just doesn't thrill you. It's, it's a very, yeah, you know, it's like, well, you're asking me to describe it, and it's hard. You know? <laughs> oh well, I mean, you did, you did a pretty good job there. It's it's bland and it's flat. Yeah, you know, so, turn, and who do you? There's a good turn, good run down to turn two. Uh, turn one is like a little kink that you don't really count uh, counteract, and then you've got a big sort of sweeping 180 degree um, left hand turn at one point around the ice rink or whatever it is, which isn't too bad. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So, 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 who do you like for the race? Yeah. I think Bottas. He's pretty. He's been. He won there last year. He's been quick there when he's raced there for Williams. Um, I think that could be. I think he could get off it. Get a, get out of his flunk a little bit, and uh, and hopefully this is the perfect track for him to go to after his recent struggles. So. All right, Gray. You like anybody for Sochi? Uh, I'm going to say Vettel. He's got. To, he's got to kind of rebound and. Kind of start trying to close some ground on on uh, Hamilton. Yeah, this thing is getting away from him quick. Yeah, so good pick, uh, Joey. Sergey Sorokin in his debut. No, um, <laughs> okay, yeah, home debut for Sergey Sorokin there. Um, who who did you pick, Gray Vettel? Vettel, yeah. Um, you know the Red Bulls are gonna gonna be rough there. Um. You know, I'll just say Raikkonen. Uh, odds are it's going to be Hamilton walking away, unfortunately. But uh, I'll just, to be different, I'll say Raikkonen. And I'll just say Hamilton because it's always a safe bet. So, But um, now uh, some news regarding uh, Billy Monger. Uh, we, we've talked about him yeah. um, on and off throughout the year. Yeah, the, the, the kid was involved in an accident. Uh he lost both of his legs, um, and he's back in a race car. But uh, Joey, there's uh, there's been some talk coming out of Trevor Carlin that they may be looking at uh, taking him out of Europe and moving him on the Mazda Road to Indy um, program. They said the um, the the car he's running right now, the Formula F- uh, Four, is very similar to the um, uh, the USF 2000 car. Um, and uh, if uh, his backers don't help him out in Europe, they they may look at this. So, or Formula Three, rather. Yeah, I mean, I think that it wouldn't be a, necessarily a bad choice, right? I mean, we've seen guys come over from British F3 um, and do well. Carlin drivers, matter of fact, Ed Jones comes to mind. He, if I remember right, had a broken back um, in in the Junior Series in Europe 
comes over here and wins an Indy Lights title, and now he's he's racing with Ganassi. So um, it wouldn't be a bad call. Uh, I, I think that certainly the transition uh, possibility is there for him to do well. Uh, it would be good for Carlin to, to get back on the grid, especially if this is, I don't imagine it would be anywhere else other than Indy Lights. Um, but we've. I think it's important that we have some focus, especially on the English side of things, British side of things, uh, in in the junior levels. You know, like Indy Lights. I mean, that having Ed Jones, even though he's he's a Dubai born Brit, right? So it, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's however we have to. Hey, write we it. take it's, all that we take him whatever we can. Uh, well, yeah. the, the, fun, so, the, fun, the funny thing is, half your average fans believe he's an American driver. Yeah. yeah. So well, until I they mean, speak I, with him, you know. But I think when you look at the fact that, like, we got Jordan King, who's a part-time driver. We got Chilton, who's starting to to come into his own later at the end of the year with Carlin in IndyCar in their first year. And and we got Ed Jones. There's not a lot of Brits that, that are running in IndyCar. And you know what? I, it's it's kind of weird that you see New Zealand getting five championships with Scott Dixon over here. But, but uh, and, and we got that attraction with Will Power getting the, the Indy 500 win. But... It would be good to have a little bit more international flavor that mm-hmm. was at the tip of the grid, and I think that can he be that? I I honestly don't know. I mean, you got to get through the junior levels first, right? But I think that to put more eyeballs in the junior series, especially in Indy Lights, certainly wouldn't be a bad thing, and I think he'd be able to do that. Uh, I do question, and I know there's there's Rockingham over there in Britain, but I you mm, know not for much longer there isn't. Yeah, but that's, yeah, they're, uh, they're tearing, the tearing the that one down. Yeah, yeah, but so that said, that's kind of where I'm leading to is I question how his adaptability would be on the ovals, considering uh, the fact that you know they don't have ovals really over there. So um, it's a training ground, but Indy Lights. I, I'll put it. I'll put it very simply: Homestead Spring Training. The Indy Lights cars are doing an oval test. And those speeds are greater than anything a cup car does in the season finale. Um, those speeds are well over 200 miles an hour. They're extremely fast compared to a cup car. So you're going over there, and you're already faster at the top junior series level in IndyCar. Uh, you're already going faster than a NASCAR Monster Energy Cup car. So um, there's not really a lot of room for error. Um, train all you want. Uh, but at the end of the day, hopefully he can adapt, and I think it would be good for the sport. Yeah, and I think then, of course, you've got the whole special interest story that, you know, you got somebody who's driving with a specially modified car with hand controls because he's lost both his legs. So, you know, every, everybody likes a comeback story like that, you know. Um, and speaking of speaking of which, you know, uh, Alex Zanardi, our, our um, all right, I got I got you in the Schumacher. Um, Alex Zanardi has uh, set, <laughs> set a new uh, set a new record in the Ironman Challenge, and he is a uh, you know when you when you when you want to talk about um, uh, you know triumphing over adversity, uh, Alex Zanardi, who lost both his legs in a uh, motor racing accident, um, you know, quite some time back. I think it was a uh, one two thousand one, um, mm-hmm. and he's he's just uh, he's taken to this this uh, paracycling. Uh, that he calls it so, but uh, let's. Um, we got about four minutes left, and let's talk about Mick Schumacher. Yeah, um, you know, obviously, son of son of Michael Schumacher. There, yeah, it, it had some mediocre sort of uh, performances, some of the junior categories, and then set up to stepped up to the Euro F3 series. 
think it was last year and, and did okay. You know, nothing nothing outstanding. And then this year was got a couple of podiums, nothing crazy, and has won five out of the last six races uh, to to sort of leap into the to the lead of the championships. It looks pretty much that he's. Uh, I think he's 40 points ahead with one round to go, which is three races. Um, so it's, I think, pretty much certain that he's going to win the uh, Euro F3 championship out there now, which is, you know, there's a lot of very, very good young drivers have done that. It seems to be that he has a slightly slower learning curve than, than some of the other kids out there. Um, you know, it takes him a year or so to get up to speed in those cars. Uh, you know, whereas you take a Max Verstappen, you know, he was fast straight out the box um a, f- a few people questioning him um uh, the name escapes me tictum the guy who was leading the championship who's part of the red bull program he's sort of questioning or he hasn't questioned the legality of the car but he says it's unusual how he suddenly started to win every race my name is not schumacher were his quotes which went down really well with certain people yeah. But, uh, well, didn't that happen you know, with his? That happened with his dad, right? He was when yeah, he first I mean, got with Ferrari. It was yeah. it was just okay. Then suddenly he began to win every race. Yeah, I mean, you know, you build on it, and in and the thing in in Euro F three, all the drivers get each other's data, no matter whether you're in the same team or rival teams, and their standard cars. The chances are they've just hit on a setup. You know, it could be something as simple as that, or an engine setting, or something. So I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I mean, you know, the kid's got good genes, obviously. So um, w- whether we'll see him in Formula One one day, who knows? Ferrari has said that the door's always open for him. So he may be the next one on the Ferrari conveyor, but we, know we may see him in a, in a Sauber car in, in a couple of years, which um, his dad actually drove a Sauber in a test, I think it was, once, to give a comparison between... Ferrari in the Sauber back in the early 2000s when Sauber were very, you know, very very closely linked with Philippe Massa and guys like that. So that's an interesting side note. But whatever. And uh, so how, <laughs> how how old is uh how old is young Mick Schumacher? I think he's 19. Now. 19. Okay, yeah. So he's... you know, there's, there's kids. Uh, you know, he, he's in the ballpark, but uh, you know, I, I would expect it's going to be a couple of years before, you know, until you see him getting near Formula One, which. I mean, if he gets into a Formula 1 car when he's 22, I mean, back, you know, what, how old was his dad when his dad first started? Probably 23, 24, maybe? Uh, I think so, it was 20, you know, 23 when he was in the Jordan car, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you look at it, you know, now everybody's like, oh, if you're not 16 in a Formula 1 car, you're nowhere. Um, so there's certainly been that uh, that sort of shift in it. But, you know, he may get in a GP2 car, for, sorry, Formula 2 car next year. It'd be interesting to see how he does there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's good to continue that family name i guess well with that being said richard we are we are out of time so i want to thank you richard i want to thank you gray and joey i want to thank the hoobazoo radio network i want to thank our iheart radio and i want to thank all you folks that tune in to tune in and listen to us every week so uh with that being said until next week enjoy the racing good night
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 